from the strangely green-colored studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another avocado episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. What happens when you grow an avocado pit into a full-size tree? On today's show, we'll reveal what you get and what you won't from that big seed. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. Yes, potential guests are busy pampering their house plants. So we will take that heap and help in. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and flirtatiously frantic felicitations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you growing a pit for profit right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media right here in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. Coming up, we have a really interesting question for you today, as opposed to the ones we normally do. Um, and that is many of you have taken the pit of an avocado and put it in water uh, with some toothpicks and started to grow a new plant. The question is, where do you go once you've got some roots coming out of that puppy? And then what do you do make it turn into a possibly large and healthy plant? We'll tell you everything when we get to the question of the week. In the meantime, it's one of them phone call shows, Cats and Kittens. So give us a call at one. 833-727-9588. Adam, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello there. Hey, Adam. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. Where's Adam doing great? I'm in Glendorf, Ohio. Okay, so where's that? I know where uh, Ohio is. It's not a trick question. About an hour south of Toledo. Okay, very good. What can we do you for, sir? Um... Well, I had uh, watched your TED Talk a couple of years ago about uh, shredded leaves, mm -hmm. and when I got done laughing, I decided that that was a pretty good idea, so I went out and bought a, a leaf blower shredder. Good. And after the first fall using it, uh, I decided my back really didn't like the, uh, the sling that you throw over your shoulder as you're sucking up leaves, especially if they're wet. Gotcha. And um, my first attempt at making a rain barrel out of uh, one of those 250-gallon IBC totes okay. went kind of awry. I cut an overflow hole in the side of it. Mm -hmm. Not not my brightest moment. So <laughs> um, I had a I had a spare tote laying around that I wasn't using anymore. Right. And I decided uh, I was going to try and use that to store shredded leaves. Are you handy enough to make the connection? Usually not. <laughs> uh, but my my lack of fabricating skills doesn't stop me from trying if 
if uh, I'm otherwise just going to throw something away or it's just right. sitting there. So I um, I just grabbed a sawzall and cut a door. Mm-hmm. I just cut a big rectangle out of the side, and uh, and I was thinking uh, I have to if I just screw into the plastic, it's going to fall apart. So I um, cut some small boards to hold screws in, and I screwed some hinges into it um, to make a door. And then I just uh, bought an old piece of aluminum dryer hose. Yeah, that's right, um, dryer vent. So I uh, ran that. I just duct taped that to my leaf back and ran the other end of the hose in the the top of that uh, tote. And right. I'll I was wondering. All my leaves. I was wondering when the duct tape would come out. I knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, all solutions so, are temporary. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I found that, uh, you know, certain tools are best only in certain situations. So mm-hmm. uh, when I'm out there blowing the leaves around the yard, once you get a big pile, it's hard to move with the blower. So I right. just try and blow them all into a, a line on my driveway. Right. And then there that, you know, line's really easy to push with a rake. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just pile them up to wherever I have that tote sitting. And then I can sit there and shred my leaves all afternoon, you know, have a couple beers and sit there and shred and listen to You Bet Your Garden. Okay. And, uh, um, and then how I wind do up you, with a whole summer. Yeah, I can imagine you must end up with uh, a lot of shredded leaves. Now, um, you said this thing is, is how many gallons? It's, it's one of those square white IBC totes everybody tries to use for rain barrels. I think it's right. 250 gallons. 250, because the traditional rain barrel would only be about 50 to 75 uh, gallons. So this thing is quite heavy when it's full, even of shredded leaves. Yeah, it, it takes two adults to push it, but uh, it's, I don't have it in the wire cage anymore. So mm-hmm. it's just this cubicle plastic blob, and it's, the corners are pretty curved. So um, we can just kind of shove it across the grass as long as I don't fill it up too much. That's great. Now, if you had simply called and said that you were shredding leaves with a traditional shoulder bag and it was too heavy for your shoulder, I would have told you about a, um, an option for many uh, leaf blower vacs, which is not so much a dryer vent connection, but it's corrugated plastic in about the same dimensions. And instead of going into a bag, it goes into a cloth drawstring. And you put this drawstring over top of a big trash can. And then as you suck the leaves up and they get shredded, they fill the trash can. So that's a much smaller version of what you've done on a larger scale. Um, But I love what you've done because you're shredding your leaves, you're making sure you have everything you need for mulch and compost making in the spring, and you are avoiding bending over or heavy labor. So there's absolutely fabulous. Yep, I've uh, I've upgraded once further this year. Two? Well, the town sucks up everybody's leaves into a big truck, so uh, my house is closer than the pile they normally dump it in. Uh Aha, yeah, great. That is fabulous. So how big is your garden? 
Um, well, I have more landscaping mm -hmm. than any uh, couple with kids should ever have. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> my vegetable gardens, I have uh, eight raised beds anywhere from six by four to ten by four. Okay, great. And uh, uh, I shouldn't say obviously, but you simply mulch everything with your shredded leaves, right? Yep. And then uh, I try and keep a couple of piles going for compost because uh, I'm too cheap to buy bulk compost and my beds are only still about half full. Uh, mm -hmm. So hopefully with everybody or getting a truckload of the town's leaves, they'll have a lot more leaf mold or leaf compost for next year. Yeah. And if you just cover your beds uh, with shredded leaves to protect them over the winter and then freshen up those shredded leaves in the spring, you know, worms are going to turn that material into compost anyway. Yep. But there's nothing like having a little bit of comp real compost that you made yourself hanging around in case you need it. That's right. All right, that's great. And I'm thinking, did you send me an email a while ago, or were you on our Facebook page or something? Oh, I sent you an email one day after I, after I got my tote filled. I thought Mike would really like this. I remember it now. So, you know, after we're done this, I'm going to get a Jake, our video guy. I'll send him that picture you sent me, and we'll incorporate it into this talk. Cool. All right. Thank you, man. It's great to hear from you. Thanks. Great to hear from you. All right. Good luck to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Denise, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello. Hello, Denise. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? I am just ducky. Uh, what can we do for Denise? Oh, where are you? Well, oh, I am in East Lyme, Connecticut. Okay, very good. What can we do you for? Well, this spring I saw a bag of garlic bulbs at my local small box hardware store. So I bought it on a whim and I planted them, some mm -hmm. in my raised garden and some in my sandy yard soil, and mm -hmm. none of them grew. So when I began to Google information about what could have gone wrong, I saw articles about spring planting versus fall planting, hard neck versus soft neck, and I sort of gave up at that point. Mm -hmm. But then, a few weeks ago, I saw your amazing garlic harvest on social media. I felt reinvigorated to try again. So I went to the Gardens Alive website, and I decided that hard neck garlic bulbs were the right way to go for my climate. Excellent. But to prevent another failure, I would like some further buying and planting tips from you, who I consider now to be the guru of garlic. I am. I really am. Um, the garden was actually started uh, because of my wife's love of raspberries. Um, and, of course, if you're a gardener in America, you have to grow tomatoes. It's a federal law. But I got involved with garlic um, after one of my first conferences where I was a guest speaker, and I absolutely love it. So hard neck is the way to go for your part of the country. Soft neck garlic is for warm climates and people who want to braid their garlic. But it, has a, it, it doesn't have the flavor and color of the hard necks. So you get a bunch of hard necks. You can either buy them online at, you know, Gardens Alive, Seed Savers Exchange. But one thing you can also do, are there good farmer's markets near you? Oh, yes. So if you buy your planting garlic from them, you have a garlic that is already locally adapted to growing in your region and your climate. And of course, you're, you're also supporting sustainable agriculture and farming and you know, keeping the land green. 
that is a great place uh, to find your planting garlic. Again, where you are, I would try to get it into the ground pretty soon, early in okay. September. And it's real easy. Once you get your garlic bulbs home, you just break them open really gently, and then you plant each clove individually three to six inches deep in your lightest, loosest soil, and you plant the cloves six inches to a foot apart. Now, they may, um, they may sprout over the winter. They may not. It doesn't matter. In the spring, they'll take off like mad. And then, really, the only thing you have to do, uh, besides controlling weeds, that's why I like a mulch of uh, shredded leaves over uh -huh. my garlic bed, the only thing you have to do is hardneck garlic will produce what's called a scape, a little, uh, you know, pod halfway, no, towards the very top of the central stalk. It'll be a little bulge. So when They're that, edible, right? Yes, they the are. They're edible, yeah. Yeah, when all your garlic has a little scape on it, cut them all off, bring them inside, and that night when you make dinner, um, heat up a little olive oil in a pan, just stir fry them for one to three minutes, and they have a mild garlicky taste. And really, the only way you can eat garlic scapes is if you grow garlic. So it's a once a once a year treat. Nice. Then, as we get into late June, early July, perhaps in your climate, watch the plants carefully. When the bottom one third of a plant has turned brown. Then you want to pull that plant up and examine the bulb. If it's, if it's a good size, it's got a nice wrapper around it, you can harvest any of the other plants that are equally brown. If some of them are still all green, let them develop for a little bit longer. You'll always get a bigger bulb. But don't wait until they all turn brown or it'll split open and it'll go bad. All right, and how long can I store them once I pull them? Well, that's the problem with our neck garlic. It will start to sprout again in September. So mm. what I do is I take the biggest cloves and put them aside for replanting. Then I take the rest of them and I slice and dice them up. My fingers smell like garlic for days afterwards. <laughs> I put them in a food dehydrator, a food dryer, until they're mm -hmm. nicely dry, and then I have a coffee grinder that has never had coffee in it. And <laughs> I whiz up these little pearls of garlic and put them in old spice jars. So you make your own garlic powder, and you grow enough garlic, that'll carry you through to the next harvest. And if you think you've tasted a garlic powder before that was acceptable, this is the bee's knees. There's really nothing like it. My family uh, can't wait because I had a great harvest this year, as you saw on our Facebook page. So they're going to get their garlic powder for Christmas. Oh, I love to cook. That'll be perfect. Yep. All right. You got the courage now? I do. That is fantastic. I will definitely try all this out. Well, they saw it first in Southeast PA and it's spreading further every day. It's doing our crops and trees a lot of harm. It's an insect species that's not native, reproducing at a very high rate of speed, and folks, that's cause for some alarm. Now, once you dig what I have dug, you'll be hip to this invasive bug, and friend, you'll want to help to stop it spread. And when you see that little critter gonna take a swing like a home run hitter and smash that spotted lantern, fly dead. Die, 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 spotted lantern, fly. 
When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a fly swatter, I'm gonna chase her all the way back to Asia. Die, die, die. Spotted lantern fly. And fall from the eggs on a wall tree trunk and scrape them off into an alcohol dunk. And surely that will cause them to expire. When the nymphs hatch from the eggs in spring, wrap your trees with a sticky tape ring, but save the birds by covering with chicken wire. Now the tree of heaven is their preferred host, yeah, that's the tree it likes the most. So if you got one in your yard, chop it down. Don't transport firewood, brush, or debris, cause they'll hide in there and you'll never see them. Hitch a ride with you to the very next town. Die, 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 spotted lanternfly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a flash water, I'm gonna chase you all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lanternfly. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and once again remind everybody out there to keep an eye out for those big rosemary plants that have been pruned into the shape of miniature Christmas trees. They make great holiday decorations, perfect gifts, and they provide an amazing amount of fresh rosemary for the buck. But don't you go galloping towards your local garden center just yet because we'll be right back with avocado advice and more of your avocado colored phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Oso Mary, Bethlehem, PA. Coming up, we are going to help you turn that gigantic avocado pit that tempts so many people. I got something this big, I gotta be able to grow something out of it. We'll tell you how to do that, and perhaps even how to keep it alive into a full-size tree that you are sure to enjoy. Until then, you got it, 833-727-9588. Brandon, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Brandon. Where are you, man? I live in Westchester, Pennsylvania, in Westtown Township. Oh, okay, sure. That's a beautiful area out there, horse country. It is. It's gorgeous. All right. What can we do for Brandon in the upscale area of Pennsylvania? <laughs> well, I'm looking for some help with my lawn. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's wintertime, but thinking ahead to spring and summer, um, I live on about an acre lot. Um, house is situated maybe about the middle of our um, footprint, and I've got a bit of a stilt grass problem. I'd say maybe 50 to 60 percent presence throughout the entire lawn, um, and it's driving me bonkers. I've got one swath of stilt grass that's about maybe 15 by 15 um, feet right almost out front of the house that right now in December is just ugly brown. I can go pull it off like an ugly brown toupee. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think 
what's my best strategy? Do I go and remove it now in the winter because it's super easy to pull up, but then get faced with a big barren brown dirt spot until I can seed it? If I do that, when do I seed it? Or do I just roll the dice for another season and see what happens and do it, say, at the end of the summer next year? Do you pull off toupees uh, of unsuspecting people at cocktail parties? I can't get that image out of my head, Brandon. <laughs> you, you can never be too careful with me. So, Well, as, as you seem to already know, Japanese stilt grass is very shallow-rooted and very easy to pull up. Now, I've written about this in the past, and I'm trying to recall, I believe it's an annual grass. So were you to spend some time over the winter um, pulling it up, it might not be absurd to think of starting the season with a clean slate, which, as you point out, would become a mud pit. Let's see. So, you know, you do have some grass left out there. Correct. Yes. It's, and it's, uh, it, it, I've got a nice stretch, maybe, say, 40 yards long that runs street side on the one side of my house. It's, say, probably south, southeastern facing. So it gets mm -hmm. a lot of sun. It's just there's some spots of the stilt grass continuing to creep towards that area, mm -hmm. and that's, like, my last bastion of hope I have. So Okay. Do you know what kind of grass it is? I don't. We've been there about two, two and a half years now. Um, it looks just like general turf grass, so it could be any mix of um, fescue and bluegrass, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty hardy. It's green right now. It's not brown. Um, so tells me that it's a, um, a cool season grass rather than a warm season grass. Exactly correct. And general turf grass was mustered out of the service years ago. So <laughs> if you think there is some bluegrass in there, that bluegrass will spread to fill in adjacent bare spots, whereby fescue mm. will not. I mean, fescue is a great grass, but you have to overseed it every couple of falls um, to repair bare spots and, and keep it lush. Mm -hmm. So this is a big area right in front of your house. Yep. Have you ever considered hardscaping it, <laughs> making a nice <laughs> little path out there? Uh, it, I would, but it's in like the wrong spot to hardscape, and it would just look really odd to have one big kind of rock gardeny kind of thing in the way the the at least this one spot is located. So, um, so I don't know if it's worth. Hey, it's in the spring. I scalp it, remove it, and then lay sod or seed. But I've heard you can't seed in the spring, and you know at least in my area. So no, no, everywhere. Uh, right. You know you can. You can install a warm season grass in the spring. That's when you have mm -hmm. your best shot. But very mm -hmm. few of those grasses are installed by seed. Uh, for cool season grasses, your ideal window is the middle of August through the end of September. That's mm -hmm. when the soil is beautifully warm, so it sprouts right away. But the nights are getting shorter and cooler, which is what, of course, a cool season grass prefers. So, again, I'll quote my old friend Nick Christians at Iowa State University. You can make a million other mistakes, but if you sow your seed in late August, you're going to have a great-looking lawn. If you think you can match the sod, that would be a wonderful option. Mm -hmm. Is the area full sun? Because this, this Japanese stilt grass tends to like shade and wetness. 
which is odd because that's what I've heard and read as well. But at least this one spot out front of the house gets most gets gets sun for a very good portion of the day. I'd say probably six to ten hours or so. That sounds. Um, there's not a lot of shade, at least in this one footprint that I'm most concerned with. Throughout the other other parts of the lawn, there are a mix of shade and, and full sun, and I've still got some presence there as well. So right. I don't okay. know if it's hyper-aggressive or what. It is, uh, yeah, it's aggressive, but it has, um, it has no staying power. As you know, mm. if you just take 10 minutes a day, um, soak the lawn in the morning, you can pull up a huge amount. I want you, after we're done talking, I want you to go to YouBetYourGarden.org, click on answers to all your garden questions, and read the article on stiltgrass, because I believe the roots are edible. I believe the roots are related to bamboo shoots. So not only would that be very locally grown food, but you'd get even. You know, you're not in Philadelphia, but you're close enough to understand the importance. It's not enough for others. It's not enough for us to win. Others must lose. And how better to punish an opponent than to eat it after you destroy <laughs> it? Okay? Um, so it, this area is approximately what? 50 by 50, something like that? I think it's like at least this one square is about 15 to 20 by 15 to 20, somewhere around there. Oh, so that's it's not big. It's, a, it's not big, but it's the one spot right out front, and it's yeah. going to catch your eye every time you're driving through. Now, at least in the summertime, the last two summers we've been there, it's green. It's green like the rest of the you know, the lawn for the most part. I, looking at it, I can see, okay, this looks like it's a big patch of weeds, not grass, next to the grass. Right. The um, problem, for all intents and purposes, it's green. So the, yeah, right now problem, it's ugly brown. The problem with Japanese stilt grass is it grows much, fa much faster than turf grass. Correct. So yep. it's yep. never even. So, okay, I have, um, I have an animal house suggestion here. Okay, uh, I'm an animal house guy. You spend the winter getting rid of all the stilt grass there, and then when we reach, like, middle, you're in a kind of a microclimate. So between May 15th and June 1st, mm -hmm. plant either a vegetable garden or a really full garden of annual mm -hmm. flowers. I mean, okay. just a huge block of uh, something like marigolds, firecracker mm -hmm. marigolds. Just buy 10 flats and mm -hmm. fill the area and have them be placeholders. And mm -hmm. then in August, get them out of there, prepare the mm -hmm. soil, Mm -hmm. So matching seed. This will also give you time to find, you have some great uh, nurseries out where you are and independent garden centers. Take, mm -hmm. take some samples of your existing grass, and I bet you they can match it for you. Okay. Because you don't want it to look like a crazy quilt. But you could plant something deliberate in there, again, just as a placeholder, um, mm -hmm. that would have a lot of eye appeal, and then remove it in mid-August and sow your lawn, and you're good to go. Cool. Okay. I never thought about that. Well, that's why I get the big money, man. <laughs> I well, I appreciate it. I like the animal house approach. So All I right. I'll, yeah, I'll, it's, it's I'll cowboy gardening at its best. Love it. All right. Good luck, sir. Mike, thank you so much. Take care. Oh, my pleasure. You too. 833-727-9588.
Rose. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Rose. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, That's where, wonderful. Where is Rose fine? I'm sorry? Where are you fine? Where, where are you? Where are you oh, calling gosh, from? I'm, in, I'm calling from Philadelphia. I'm calling from right in the middle of the city. Okay, tell me the neighborhood. Well, I'm in the uh, University City, actually. Okay, out in West Philly. Yep. You know, that was a big garden district back in the day. You know, all those large single homes, they, um, and there's still more trees out there, I think, than anywhere else in the city. But that's yeah, beautiful. It's it, the best neighborhood. It's so green. It's so green and it's so shady in the summertime. You don't need air conditioning. It's true. And there are roses everywhere. Oh, named after you, of course. What can we do? <laughs> what can we do for our rose? Well, um, I'm calling because I actually I have more of a uh, potted plant question than a garden question. Right. I recently I recently actually just moved here from Florida, and I uh, gave away a lot of my tropical plants, but I brought a lot with me. And I live in an old building with not much light, mm -hmm. and some of those old radiators that heat up the apartment. She's sort of a furnace level. Uh -huh. So I was wondering are you, if you have any suggestions. Are you on the top floor? I am in the middle floor. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Story. I was on the top floor of an old apartment building in the Logan section of Philadelphia. And, <laughs> and for Henry on the first floor uh, to not freeze to death, my apartment had to be 90 degrees. So all winter long, I enjoyed fresh air because all my windows, all the windows were open. wide open. So I know what it's like. That's exactly what I'm living with. I keep all of my windows wide open. And it's really pleasant for me, but not very pleasant for any of my plants who really, you know, they've been dealing with the low light. The mm -hmm. low light is a bit of a challenge, but really once the heat kicked on this winter, they just started struggling, the poor things. And um, do they been, do they have to hang uh, over top of a radiator to get the window light? Yes, the uh. radiator is directly under the window, and so because the windows are only on you know one side of the apartment, really, it's an eastern exposure. So there's mm -hmm. just nowhere else that the plants can go. And I have them all hanging to try to put some distance, you know, a good like five or six between the radiator and the plants. Sorry, Rose. Sorry. Heat rises, baby. I know. I know it. I know it. However, I, so, well, the long and short of it is I was hoping that you might have some suggestions for types of plants no. that could deal with low light but still tolerate the heat. No, uh, uh, cactus. Cactus. Yeah, <laughs> cactus. cactus. You know, since you're, you're, Sunny windowsill uh, it seems to be more indicative of Phoenix-like environment. Now, um, what size is the apartment? Is it really tiny, or do you have a couple of different rooms? I have a couple of different rooms, but they are all tiny. Okay. What I'm going to suggest is, even though that window seems very attractive, and perhaps it'll be useful in the summertime unless the trees cut off all the light, like they did in my old apartment, um, when I wasn't into plants yet, this is a long time ago, 
but I would take your plants into whatever room there is, quote, room for them, and I would set them up with a simple shop light rigged on top of them. You can go to okay. any hardware store, any home center. Uh, you want to make sure the shop light has four-foot-long bulbs. So a two-bulb shop light, you can put, you know, maybe six plants underneath that. You get a four-tube right. shop light, and you can, you can go to town. You can have a great little indoor garden there. And, um, you know, your plants are not going to grow. They're going to pretty much stay the same size. So once you get it rigged up, you can put the sides of the light fixture up on blocks or bricks or books, or they all come with hanging chains. The problem in an apartment is you generally don't have wood or any solid structure up above to hang the chains from. So I right. would strongly suggest supporting uh, the lighting fixtures on the sides. That's what I do when I start my seeds because those plants are constantly growing. I grab a whole bunch of books to get started. And then as mm -hmm. the plants grow, um, I add books. So it works really well. And, you know, then you're not, you're not trying to, you know, the Red Cross is going to come and take these plants away from you if you don't get them out, know, of that, <laughs> out of that heat sink. But artificial light and tropical plants, they get along really well together in, okay. in, the, in the spring or summer. Uh, is this typically a place in West Philly is, uh, is going to have a really nice porch unless you live in a more modern kind of construction? No, yeah, I do have, like, a nice outdoor. It's Yeah, the outdoors is not the issue. It's just no. the winter. Right, yeah. um, but I'm saying, you know, when it gets warm, you know, say June 1st, because these are tropics, um, take them outside, put them in sun. You know, uh, I know it can be dicey. I know in South Philly, <laughs> you know, uh, people chain their pots to the front of the house and then the thieves steal. Oh, no, and, yeah. and then the thieves steal the chains. But I well, happily everybody's growing plants in this neighborhood. So, yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. I think you'll do fine. And in the meantime, just overwinter them under a really bright light. Keep the plants really close to the light. Fluorescent tubes are okay. If you want to go to the new LED uh, lights that are inside what appear to be fluorescent tubes, so they're a, okay. little, they're a little more expensive, but you'll never have to replace them, and your lights, uh, your lights, your plants will thank you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Good luck, Rose. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody who intends to buy one or more of those amazing rosemary Christmas trees I've been talking about that these great little trees tend to be totally pot-bound when you purchase them. So be sure to move it on up into a bigger container as soon as you get it home, especially if you're giving the plant as a gift. Otherwise, they'll think you're awful because it'll be brown in five days. But don't go perusing your empty pots to find the right size just yet because we'll be right back with important avocado advice and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and TV at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week, how you can grow your very... <clears throat> in just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week how you can grow your own avocado tree and how much chance you have of ever seeing avocados on that thing. You won't want to miss it, and you won't. It's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Joe, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Joe. How you doing? I'm good. And where is Joe good? Joe is good just south of you in Berks County. Oh, okay. What part of Berks County? Between Reading and Pottstown. Oh, okay. Very good. I know that area well. The Reading Phillies, I hate to say this with the Allentown AAA team nearby, mm -hmm. but the Reading Phillies are my favorite minor league team. That's a nice stadium. It is a beautiful stadium. It, Reminds me of Wrigley Field and all the old classic ballparks. All right, Joe, what can we do you for? I'm having a problem with my Granny Smith apple tree, Mike. Okay, what's up? It's about 20 years old and a real good provider. Mm -hmm. Started in 2018. If you recall, that was the wettest summer we've ever had. Until 2019. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought 18 was worse, but either way. Yeah. Late uh, in, in July, I noticed that the apples had pretty much fallen off, mm. and all of a sudden the leaves started coming down. Mm -hmm. By the middle of August, they were gone. It was bare. Yeah. That's so I thought, good. okay, we'll wait for the next spring. Well, spring came early. Toward the end of September, it came back fully relieved, relieved with all the blossoms. Mm. It was beautiful in September. And then, of course, winter came and it went dormant again. So I thought, let's see what happens in the spring. In the spring, it did leaf again. Right. The blossoms still came, but much less than normal. Okay. I'm saying maybe 50%. Okay. And then the whole process repeated itself in 19. The leaves all came off in August, and then it re-leafed again in September. Only now it was maybe down to 20%. Okay, so you never got apples. Never saw an apple. Okay. Now the question is, is there any chance that it will re return to its normal cycle? Well, yeah. Yeah, if the tree was healthy before that, I mean, we had, oh, yeah. we had twice as much rain as most plants can tolerate. And mm -hmm. apple trees are not the easiest thing to grow under any circumstances in the right, Northeast. Right. Now, do you still prune the tree? I keep it very nicely trimmed, yes. Okay, that's good. That's good. So it has good airflow around yes, it? Yes, I, I did what they tell people to do, cut the middle out. Yes. So that there's lots of air that comes in through the top. 
Yes, that's very good. It's it's exceptional if the tree kind of looks like an open umbrella after you're exactly, done. Exactly, exactly what it looks like. Because um, I think your problems would have been worse otherwise. <laughs> oh, I can't get much worse. I'm not getting any apples. No, don't say that, man. <laughs> that's a Kinahara times three. <laughs> All right, so uh, what's it growing out of? Is it, is it bare earth? Is it growing out of a lawn? What's going on? It's growing out of the lawn. I have some slope in my lawn, mm -hmm. but it drains nicely normally. Okay. Do you treat your lawn with anything? Uh, that portion of the lawn, no. That's the backyard, and I pretty much leave it uh, on its own. Okay. So there's no herbicides <clears throat> coming down towards no. the tree? No, not at all. Okay. Well, in a situation like this, I mean, there's really not, you know, if you wanted to, and is the tree mulched with anything? No, not really. Just grass around it. Okay. Just grass around it. Uh, do you feed the tree? Do you put... Mm, no. no. <laughs> I'm, I'm lazy. I've never fed it. Okay. Well, that, you know, uh, no fertilizer is better than chemical fertilizer. But if you want to increase your chances, how about we hoe away the grass underneath mm -hmm. the tree? Mm -hmm. I can do that. Until you make a circle that's equal to the furthest branch. Ooh, that's a good bit of grass, but I can do it. Okay. And then if you want to go for the bonus round, um, see if you can... Yeah, see, uh, normally I'd say core aeration, but you're going to bust up the roots. So I'm going to back mm -hmm. off of that and say then cover that bare ground with two inches of compost. That'll, that. that'll give the tree some natural nutrients, but this has happened to so many plants. I had my forsythia bloom beautifully in the spring, and then it bloomed again in the fall. I mean, completely <laughs> bloomed. And I thought that that was going to ruin the springtime show, but I got a very nice show in the spring. So I think this is just water stress, and this is why, you know, we have that expression for the farming community, lose the farm. Because if this happens three or four years in a row, um, there's no money coming in, the bank forecloses on the farm. Absolutely. That's what happened in the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma. Yes, there were some farming practices that made it worse, but, you know, sometimes, you know, God thinks we're all Job and, <laughs> you know, sends us a lot of tests that we would have been a, much happier to have done without. Absolutely. So it doesn't sound like you're doing anything really wrong that can be corrected. I don't know of any specific treatment Although, now that I think about it, my friend down in Texas, Howard Garrett, the dirt doctor, has what he calls the sick tree treatment. So if you wanted to try something really unique, um, go to his website. It's dirtdoctor.com. And, doctor.com. Is and, that doctor spelled out or DR? Oh, no, spelled out. Howard's an old guy like me. Well, you're not as old as me. Yeah. Um, and then look up sick tree treatment. Gotcha. Okay, so maybe you want to add a little bit of his advice in with mine 
and just hope that we have a normal season for a change. <laughs> that would be nice. All right. Good luck, Joe. Hey, thanks for talking to me, Mike. My pleasure. Good luck this Take season. It. Take care. You too, sir. Bye-bye. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling an old avocado tree in Tennessee and a troubled youngster in New Jersey. Jeff in Kingston Springs, Tennessee writes, my spouse and I just inherited an avocado tree from a neighbor that was moving. He started the tree 15 years ago from the pit of an avocado he purchased in the store. It's currently about seven feet tall with two main trunks and lots of branches and leaves growing off the trunks. We want to prune it to minimize the height, but we don't know the best time to prune and how much. The tree will live in the house during the winter and go out by the pool in the summer. We have managed to keep two plumerias from Hawaii alive in this climate, but we don't have an experience with an avocado tree and we don't want to lose this plant. We do have grow lights and a sunroom ready to assist the avocado if needed. Well, I admire anybody that can keep a tropical tree like the avocado alive and healthy for 15 years. So my first bit of advice is the same as I give everyone in this pass around plant situation. If you're still in touch with that person, contact that previous owner and ask how they cared for it. Otherwise, go to the highly informative section of the California Avocado Commission website called How to Grow Your Own Avocado Tree. There is an astounding amount of useful information there about outdoor growing in really warm climates like Southern California and as a house plant. But for pruning details, I called my fruity buddy Lee Reich, author of many books, including Grow Fruit Naturally and The Pruning Book. Lee's answer, you can prune an avocado tree almost any time, but just after midwinter would be best. Prune it more for size control than you think it needs because it will actively grow back from wherever you prune it. Lee adds that it's not hard to keep an avocado tree alive in the winter but give the tree a summer vacation outdoors in dappled sunlight. Acclimate the plant slowly to this brighter light, temperature changes, and the wind of the great outdoors. I'll add that your sunroom sounds like a perfect spot for the winter. I'll also add that you need to be sure that you never expose this tree to temperatures below freezing. So you should wait until June to take it outside and then bring it back inside before you think you have to. But then there's the obvious question. Is there any chance this tree could produce fruit? To which Lee responds, I thought you might ask that. It probably won't fruit. It's hard to give it good enough conditions in cold winter areas to get it to flower. And if it does flower, it needs cross-pollination from another variety, and here comes the weird part, and that pollinator has to shed its pollen at the correct time of day. With some varieties, that happens in the morning. With others, pollination occurs at night. So those are two vastly different types of pollinators. 
Lee adds, quote, I've tried all of this. I grafted appropriate varieties onto avocado seedlings that I personally raised. The plants produced oodles of flowers, but no fruit, even with hand pollination. Best to enjoy it as an attractive houseplant. I say, again, ask the previous owner, did it ever flower for them? Did they ever see the beginnings of a fruit? The California Avocado Commission notes that most of the flowers will fall off without producing fruits, even under ideal situations. And they warn that once you start pruning, you have to continue on a regular basis. We move on to another recent avocado question from Riley in New Jersey. Riley writes, I started growing my avocado plant from a grocery store seed. It was doing well over the summer, but the leaves are now drooping, and I'm not sure what to do. The plant is always indoors. Do you have any ideas? Well, the first one is to read that growing your own avocado tree section of the aforementioned California Avocado Commission's website. It's beyond thorough. Unfortunately, even though it's beyond thorough, they don't include the symptom of droopy leaves in their what's wrong with your houseplant section. But I'll note two possibilities. One is watering. They note that a young tree needs to be watered frequently around three times a week. But as the tree gets older, you should drop back to once a week. Just like me, they advocate a good deep soaking followed by a period of no watering to allow the roots to dry out periodically. Root rot seems to be the biggest enemy of farm-grown trees in California, including trees that are growing in really dry areas. And because the vast majority of people overwater their plants rather than underwater them, I'm going to suggest that might be the cause here. The avocado pit also needs to be planted high in its soil, with half of that pit above ground, just like with an amaryllis bulb. The commission recommends that the soil be slightly on the acidic side, with a pH between 6 and 6.5. A pH of 7, of course, is neutral. And I'll add that the, quote, soil in any container should be a combination of high-quality organic potting soil and compost. No garden soil. Well, that sure was some interesting information about growing your own avocados now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read that information over at your leisure or your leisure, including the link to that great How to Grow page from the California Avocado Commission. Because the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week where? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to abscond with my avocados if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you, you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore. 
at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please, please, please include your location. And don't forget, you'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. That's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he received a major Matt Mason space station and a Great Garloo remote-controlled scary giant robot for Christmas in the same year. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airwaves is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director of direction is Javier Diaz. The usual gang of idiots includes the esteemed Eric Werner, Zach the Tack Wisniewski, and a gaggle of others. Our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, is always late for a meeting, ah, but he's never late when his avocado-colored refrigerator calls out to him. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I don't have either of those really cool Christmas toys anymore, but I'm saving up to buy a vintage Great Garloo robot from 1961 which now sells for around 2,000% of its original price tag of $17.98. And that means I will see you again next week, and the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that, and... What's so bad about rat poison if you got rat problems? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next festive episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll explain why you should avoid such products and we'll offer safer tactics to use instead. Plus your fabulous phone calls.